Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? The following is an actor portrayal. With Kindly Assisted Living and Memory Care at Asbury Methodist Village in Montgomery County, you can anticipate more. But don't take our word for it. My dad moved to Kindly and loved it. His apartment was spacious, sunny, and overlooked Parkland. It was a great comfort to me to see him always smiling and involved in the life at Kindly. Enjoy quality on-site nursing and rehab services, too. Visit Kindly at Asbury.org today. Equal Opportunity Housing Provider. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 164 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have our third and final episode surrounding the Toolshed prospect mock draft that we finished about a week and a half ago or so with five great guests. But first, let's bring in my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clay. Chris, what's going on, bud? Man, not too much. It was a good talk. I was only in for three of them, but it was a lot of fun. He had some scheduling conflicts. I got in a little late, but it's all good. It was a good time, and I know very thankful for everybody that participated in the mock and everybody that came all in the show. So many talented prospect people in our space. So it's definitely fun to chat with them and hear their process and just talk a little bit more about the draft. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and in case you missed it, check out episode 162, where we had on Brendan Tuma, we had on Matt Heckman, and we had on Drew Wheeler. That was three great guests right there. Episode 163, which came out on Monday, was just Chris and I going over our draft and just a whole draft in general. I talked some of our picks as we've been focusing on our guests during these episodes. And then this one, we had five outstanding guests in here. We start out with Mrs. Shelley Verstraight, then Jesse Roche. Then after the break, Chris hops back in. We had Michael Richards, Arm Layton, and James in to close it out. So another great jam-packed episode full of strategy and prospect talk. But before we get into all of that, let's get the usual housekeeping out of the way here. You can follow us on Twitter, Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Eric Cross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for more content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of video throughout the offseason and into 2023. And of course, check out all the other great stuff that Fantrax and Fantrax HQ have to offer. 2023 best ball leagues are already open if you get that draft itch like we all do. And we have plenty of great content on HQ for whatever fantasy sports you are into. 
We now bring on our first guest. She is a writer at NBC Sports Edge, Baseball HQ, and a manager over at Pitcher List, and someone that is currently in a process of mourning, like mm-hmm. I am as a Red Sox fan. The one, the only, Mrs. Shelley Verstreet joins us. Shelley, how are you doing? Relatively speaking, okay. It's been a, it's been a rough couple of days, but I guess I'm okay for right now. Okay is probably about as good as we can be right now. But <laughs> the one question I got to ask you, because obviously you have your two dogs mm-hmm. that are both now Padres, Soto yep. and Ursula. Do you have any more, you know, pet na- you know, pets that are out into their sports, you know, personalities <laughs> that we need to be on the lookout for that might go to San Diego soon? <laughs> no, any, I, cats, I... birds, anything? <laughs> I, I, I don't, but someone, I don't know who it was, but someone on Twitter was like, oh my goodness, if you get a new dog and you name him Otani, this needs, every, every, every like San Diego Padres fan wants you get a dog and name him Otani because apparently sure. whenever I name a pet, they go to San Diego, so... Yeah. yeah, that's the, the most accurate form of reporting out there. Like better than <laughs> Jeff Passan and John Heyman and Ken Rosenthal. It's like, all right, what are Shelly's pet names? All right, they're going to San yep. Diego. So it might not be this year, it might not be next year, but oh, <laughs> fun times. But let's get into it, Shelly here. Obviously, we just finished up the prospect mock draft, which was a lot of fun here as I'm pulling up Shelly's team here again. For those that might have missed previous episodes, 14-team mock draft here with some of the sharpest minds. It was only prospect-eligible players. We included some couple of the you know the Japanese imports that just signed, uh, and Senga, who just went to the Mets because they can't stop spending money. <laughs> I just don't know how that's possible. But anyway, Shelly had the we're right there second pick overall. This is how Shelly's draft went down. Again, it was 14 teams. She went Corbin Carroll, Connor Norby, Curtis Mead, Bo Naylor, Will Brennan, rounds one through five, six through ten, Christian Encarnacion Strand, Tanner Bibby, Zach Geloff, Addison Barger, Kyle Miller, 11 through 15, Samuel Zavala, Tyler Gentry, Cade Horton, Michael Burrows, Tyler Black, and 16 through 20, Lennon Sosa, How You Lee, Jefferson Cuero, Will Wagner, and Luis Perales here. Shelly, what was your general strategy going in? As I always have to get people strategy, especially in a in a room like this that we were in. What was your strategy entering this draft? Knowing that I had like the second pick, I basically put it on auto. I put it either Gunner or Corbin Carroll because easy I mean, enough. <laughs> exactly. So you know, after like the first round came through, I was just like taking a look at like what other managers were doing, kind of. And also kind of like knowing like what they were doing, like what, who they, they really liked and whatever. I just, I was just going for guys who were double A or triple A, at least at the beginning, double A and triple A eligible and probably, you know, could see some major league time here. I, I, I probably went a bit too early on Connor Norby, but I really, really do like him. Okay. I don't think you did at all. Actually, I have him ranked. Okay. I, I have him ranked higher than that. I love oh. Connor Norby. Oh, so nice. He, okay. I, he, he was one where I was like, I, I knew I had him ranked a bit higher than most. I was like hoping that he would, you know, sneak back around to me in the third, which obviously he didn't hear. But yeah, I love Norby. I think he's very underrated. Yeah, and 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 honestly, like the Orioles are like really interesting because I mean they have oh, yeah. like a lot of like double a triple a prospects that could like really make the big leagues this year and like 
I really do think like their time in the major leagues depends on what the major league team does in like the first month of the year. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. But anyway, I love Connor Norby and Curtis Mead. I really do like him. The only thing that I don't like about him is that he's with the Rays and they seem to really platoon, but I just love his bat. So I was just going just like for guys that I liked pretty much for like the top, you know, five rounds. Yeah, me, I like me too. I think I have him ranked pretty close to him, maybe a few spots behind my rankings. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just don't know where he's going to fit in. Like, I love the bat. I think yeah. the bat is 100% legit. It's just, and I think we've had this, uh, you know, similar conversations with a lot of, you know, top raised bats in the past, like outside of like Wander Franco. We knew he was going to get a spot, but it's like, yeah. where, even like when, uh, you know, Vidal Brujan was coming up last year, it was like, all right, where does he fit in? Obviously, that didn't really work out. But yeah, it'll be fun to see where the uh, the rays kind of put me because obviously he, he's you know maybe he's not ready right now but he's pretty close to it so right at some, at some point this year you'll probably see him up just in what capacity who knows i i love the, the bo nailer picks too like bo nailer is one of those kind of unicorn catchers that can provide speed and mm -hmm. as you saw he got that little cup of coffee or more like a shot of coffee end of the season with with cleveland so probably is their opening the catcher who knows still got a lot of offseason left but Bo Naylor is one where, and he went, you know, right in a spot where there was a lot of catchers. I think there was what one, two, three, there was six catchers that went in the first three, the first four rounds. Excuse me, actually seven catchers in the first four rounds. Him being the what the right in the middle, the fourth of the seven. So yeah, he was I, I think a group yeah right after Gavin Williams, so two back to back Cleveland guys, and he took Will Brennan. So little a little Cleveland run there, but they know what they're doing there in Cleveland. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. And just as long as Cleveland doesn't, you know, hit up Oakland for a catcher, I think that Bo Naylor <laughs> is going to be starting the, you know, the season as like Cleveland's everyday catcher. So I was like really excited yeah. to get him in the fourth round. Yeah. Bo Naylor's definitely been a very nice riser there and Will Brennan too. And I think they're both a bit yeah. underrated here. Now, were there any picks you know, of yours that you like really like that kind of stand out among amongst the rest of your picks? I guess I'm just gonna just go ahead and just say Tanner Beebe. T seems to be like the guy who I am just way too high on <laughs> because <laughs> I have participated in quite a few like prospect bucks frequently, and I just keep getting him. And maybe I'm just like way too high on him, but I just really like him because. Obviously, Cleveland pitching, we all we all love that. But what Bree, you know, what just kind of like makes him just a tad bit higher, in my opinion, is the strikeout stuff. It's mm -hmm. not the control stuff, it's the strikeout stuff. So I don't know. I was like really happy to snag him in the seventh round. And Sammy Sabala, Samuel Sabala in the eleventh round. Like I was like, I was like really excited to get. And I don't know. So maybe some like deep cuts. Michael Burroughs in the 14th round. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it's Pittsburgh pitching. How many wins can you get? Whatever, whatever. But Michael Burroughs like put like a, a a nice season for the Pirates. And I do think that he could get some you know, decent time next year. So I was like really glad to get him in the 14th round. Yeah, that was definitely a solid pick there right, right after you took Cade Horton as well. And yeah, yeah I, this is funny, the, the Bibby pick, I was like, all right, we're getting into the range. So that was what, second pick of the seventh round. So quick math, yep. I think it was pick 86, if my math serves me correctly. And I knew we was, I think I have him in the 95 range personally. And I was like, all right, I know we're getting into Bibby range. And <laughs> just knowing that, all right, because obviously you were uh, second pick. So you got, you no, know, a, 
you know, slightly bigger, you know, uh, gap between your, your sets of, right. So after you, right. after you get the end of the six, when you went in Canasi on strand, I was like, there's no way, there's no way she lets Bibby go another like two rounds, almost <laughs> waiting to the, you know, eight, nine turn and sure enough, boom, you went Bibby. So yeah. I, I was, I was like, all right, this is a spot where Shelly's taking Bibby. I, I had a, I had a good feeling about that. Now seeing how, you know, after seeing, you know, hindsight's 2020, but after seeing how the draft played out, were there any picks that you kind of look back on like, Oh, you know, maybe I could have went somebody else here or I could have let this person fall or any picks that you might have regretted? Honestly, Zach Geloff. At that point, sadly, I had it kind of like set on auto mm-hmm. and I had it set on my ranks at that time. And as much as I started like to look at, you know, look at my ranks like after that pick and around, you know, when that pick went, I kind of think that I could have like taking him ninth or tenth round. I, I don't think that he should have been in the eighth round. So that that was kind of one that I'm just like, ooh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> and then in the, the next round, I took Addison Barger. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, James takes Luis Ortiz, which I am just like infatuated with. I'm just like, dang it. Definitely <laughs> should have not done that. Yeah. But yeah, those those were two, honestly, like back-to-back picks for me that I'm just like, dang it you know, James got me. Yep. <laughs> hey, James is one of the best out there. So yeah. he's, he's gotten people before that's for sure. Yeah. With, with, with Geloff, I like Geloff. I don't yeah. like Oakland's player development. I just, yes. we've yes. seen so many good hitters that have just seen like they're and specifically with like the plate approach. It's like the K rates always seem to go up. The walk rates go down. That's why I'm like a little worried about like, I like, I like Soderstrom as well. I'm a little mm-hmm. worried about him. Mm-hmm. He already has a slightly higher K rate. So, I just don't like Oakland's player development. It used to be great. It's just kind of like yeah. the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years or so. It's been like you've seen a lot of these, their top hitters for the most part kind of flail out because of the approach issues. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen with Soderstrom or Geloff because they're two very fun prospects. And Barger, too. I didn't have a chance to see Barger. He got up to double A, which is New Hampshire, about two hours from me. But every time I went, he wasn't playing. It was just like a weird thing. So <laughs> I'm assuming he'll still be in double A to start the year, I'm guessing. So. Maybe I'll get a chance to see him live early in the season. We'll see. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe be triple A. Who knows? But yeah, I, I like Barger a lot too. I think he's a definitely underrated. I seem to be writing about yeah. him pretty soon here as kind of like an, a riser to look out for again this upcoming year. So I like Barger a good amount here. Now, looking at you know kind of the rest of the board here, were there any any picks that someone else made that you were like, man, that was a really good pick or a really good value. Yeah. So Jeff Ponce took Colson Montgomery in the seventh. Like mm-hmm. I, 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 I really do. I really do like that pick. I mean, the White Sox, you know, like their system is quite barren. And I definitely think that we could see him. And I just like really liked his bat. James Anderson in the 10th with Joey Ortiz. I... Again, like the, this, that particular pick depends on how well, in my opinion, you know, the Orioles do at the beginning of the season. Because if they are kind of competitive, I could see them like totally flipping and bringing up a lot of like these double A, triple A guys to be a little bit competitive. So I really did like that pick. And then, and then Chris Clegg, you know, 
killed me with that Indy Rodriguez, Harry Ford, oh. Aaron Zavala selections. I'm like, oh my goodness. I already I, I already gave him crap too, especially about Good. the the Indy and Indy yes. uh, and Ford, especially because those are two yes. prospects near and dear to my heart. And but then again, I'm not surprised, especially yeah. with the Indy one. I'm like. When he took him, I'm like, I was a little upset. I was like, ah, I knew that's that's Chris. I knew he was gonna take Andy there. I knew yeah. he likes him too. So, yeah. So I, I share in your your pain there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and another with that we mentioned James with Joey Ortiz. That was another pick. That was like, you just knew that he was gonna get Joey Ortiz. I, I know. Yeah. I've heard him talk about Joey Ortiz on various forums and pods and articles and whatnot. So he's another one. I was like, yep, that makes yep. so much sense. That's a James pick right there. Now, this was a fun question that Chris and I started in our last, when we were talking about our own teams here, I wanted to ask everybody that's coming on tonight, if there was a prospect taken in the last five rounds, maybe there's two, I don't know, one or two taken in the last five rounds that you think, you know, when we do this again next offseason, has a, a pretty good chance of being in the first five rounds. Are there any names that stood out to you? You know, just like taking a look at the entire, just kind of like, you know, last five rounds here i don't know can i can i pick a pick that i you that i made yeah go ahead okay jefferson cuero of mm. milwaukee again like it's a it's another catcher right catchers are just like just have gone above and beyond to what we ever expected but i really do think that jefferson cuero could be can really really just like jump up and then let me see who else yeah that's it's really about it can i just get like your opinion on Emmanuel Valdez for the from the Red Sox? Yeah, so I've been very up and down on him. Yeah. Like his bat looked really good, and even though I didn't fully love the trade at the time, though it did make sense with Vasquez on his last year of his deal. I looked at the bat. I'm like, all right, the bat, bat looks pretty good offensively. I just don't think I don't know where he's going to fit in defensively. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like a mystery at this point. But then again, when he got to us he struggled. I don't know if it's just a, you know, because of the change of organization and, and he kind of had to, you know, the, all of that that goes along with it. I don't know, but I think he's a solid bat. I just don't know, like, where does he fit in? Is he an everyday starter at a particular position? Is the bat good enough to be a DH? I don't know. I think that there's some intrigue there. I just still a lot of questions that I want to see answered. And obviously I think, you know, unless we go out and get Correa or Dansby, Looks like he's going to play a role at some point this year, whether it's an opening day or after. But yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's at least intriguing for sure. The bat is is nice. Just he, he needs that bat to carry him because the rest of the profile is just kind of like lags behind a bit. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like the, the, the last five rounds of this draft, I'm like, I could see where some of these guys, there was a lot of pitchers. So that's what made me kind <laughs> of like hesitant to be like, uh, can it go there you know but right yeah i mean there are like some very interesting players here but it's it's it, honestly it was like really hard for me to pick a player to be you know oh i think that he could go yeah yeah definitely there's it was a, it was a really fun draft yeah a lot of pitchers yeah. taken in the you know really the back half i you wonder how many pitches do you take you took one two three four five okay i think that's probably around average i only took three I was in the low end, but all the ones I was going to just kind of went a little higher than I was anticipating, like Espino. Espino and Hens helped snipe me on both of those. I was going to take one of those two, and he just double-tapped them at the end of the third and beginning of the fourth. But And I was I was going to get – G. I thought Giro might have fallen to my first pick, which would have been picked was an 18, but he went to Michael Richards on the turn. 
So this didn't, this didn't work out, but I ended up getting what Bryce Miller, Jackson Job, and Jared Schuster. I don't know. Maybe I would have done that a little differently if we did this over again. But yeah, hey, we'll do it again next year. But Shelly, thanks again for participating and hopping on here. It was a lot of fun. You're always a great person to talk baseball with, and we can share in our Red Sox pain right now <laughs> with each other as we, we try to get through the rest of the offseason. Again, you can follow Shelly on Twitter at ShellyV underscore 643. Follow her stuff over at NBC Sports Edge, Baseball HQ, and Pitchless as well. Shelly, thanks again. Thanks, Eric. It was great. Thank you for letting me participate on this fun draft. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, we'll talk soon, Shelly. All right, bye-bye. See ya. And now we bring on our second guest of the show, my former podcast co-host. You can find his stuff over at Baseball Perspectives, both in written and audio form. Mr. Jesse Rose joins us. Jesse, how's it going, man? It's good. It's good. Gearing up for the holidays and the very, very busy January through March push with our writing and our content that we put out. Yeah, this it's fun. Like, Obviously, you doing the dynasty and prospect stuff too. It's almost busier in the off season than we are during the season, which is kind of like an odd. It, it feels backwards, but you know, <laughs> you, you, you know, you get into that groove in the regular season. You're doing like the weekly stuff, and also like off season, it's like all right, you got team by team stuff. You got the overall rankings and update this and that, and it's like it's fun though. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, it's always a lot of stuff going on this time of year. There's no off season for us. That's for no. sure. No, definitely not. I mean, January, I'm just like dreading it a little bit. I mean, I'm excited <laughs> in a way, but I'm also dreading as the positional series starts then. And it's just like, oh, God, yep. I have to write up like 60 players a week. <laughs> right. Or more. I hear you, man. You know, right there like, with oof. you. Yeah. <laughs> Always a fun time. But hey, let's let's hop right into it here. Jesse had the, you're right in the middle of the round. What pick is that? Eighth pick, I want to say. Pick. Yes. Yeah. So he was right between Drew Wheeler and Chris Welsh. Jesse's draft went out of that eight spot again, 14 teamer. He went Jackson Churio, Josh Young, Marco Luciano, Robert Hassel, and Hayden Wesneski, rounds one through five, six through 10. Bobby Miller, Dustin Harris, Gavin Cross, Cade Cavalli, and Garrett Mitchell, 11 through 15. Matt McLean, Ryan Nelson, Mark Vientos, Justin Foscu, and Jacob Berry. And rounding out the last five rounds, Vaughn Brown, Chase Silseth, Brian Mata, Nick Fresso and Michael Talia. So with that eighth pick, Jesse, you went Jackson Cheerio there. Were you, first off, were you surprised that he fell to eight? Yes, I definitely was. I mean, I know that Drew Wheeler is very much a Kyle Manzardo stand, but I just can't really fathom preferring Manzardo over Cheerio in standard formats. Maybe an OBP, but in standard formats, I mean, Cheerio has just ridiculous 5 by 5 potential. I mean, there is definitely growth that's needed and you know a lot is going to be based on projection particularly his hit tool because there is underlying swing and miss but what he did at his age is incredibly rare and normally players who perform like that at that age at those levels you know at at low a high a and even then in double a those almost always become superstars <laughs> it's just kind of wild and i just think that he's a player who you need to try and just go out and get right now, if it's possible. I mean, if he's falling to this point, if people are perceiving his value like this, I personally have him at five in my rankings, then, you know, I really think it's a potential even buying opportunity for him before it really gets like explosive, because this is a guy who could be like a Ronald Acuna Jr. type, maybe not that type of power ultimately, but I think he has that type of ceiling. Yeah, no, he's, I, I I have him a few. I'm trying. I'm pulling up my rankings here. I have him 
I have him at five overall as well, right between I have Ellie at four, and then I have uh, Jordan Lawler at six. So I was I was hoping I saw him fall, but I was like I knew he wasn't gonna get all the way to me at twelve. I knew that, but yeah, I, I do agree. I, I still I still think even though obviously the hype is there, like everyone knows like mm-hmm. his name at this point, but I still think that there is that little bit of a buying opportunity because I don't think the price tag has gotten to like top ten levels quite yet. I think it might be like, you know, top 20, top 25 level. It's still obviously a very high price tag. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I think you can still get it. I think that price tag is going to keep going up. It's almost like the, the buy high thing where you, you might have to pay a you know, pretty penny now. But just think about what that penny is going to cost, you know, even May, you know, even a month into the season. So I think it's a very it's real possibility. He's a top prospect, like unanimous after a month of the season. Very possible. Yeah. I mean, especially Absolutely. once we see the graduations of Henderson and Carroll. And then, you know, I think there's a very real chance he becomes like that number one guy, especially if he comes out in double A and, and just hits. Yeah, I, I think that's gonna be really fun to watch just in general. Like, you know, Carroll and Henderson will graduate like fourth game of the year, whatever it is, like within the first week for both of them. Then we have like that massive glob of, mm-hmm. of you know, Ellie, Jordan Walker, of Lawler, of Volpe, of Churio. Maybe you can throw, I think James Wood's still a see a bit behind those, but just seeing like, all right, who they all have the up, upside to emerge as the, the new number one, but who will? I think it's gonna be a really fun, you know, beginning, you know, first few months of the season to see who emerges as that new number one. Because right now, like I said, I don't know. It could be this guy, it could be this guy. I've gone back and forth on my thoughts on it, but I mean, I know yeah. that it's gonna be a discussion point probably immediately. Like you said, oh, it'll absolutely. be a discussion point like after the first week of the season once we have yep. those two big prolific graduations and i mean early on if it's going to be a discussion point that early it's i just it's going to be hard for a player like Chirio to enter firmly in that discussion right away but it may happen pretty quickly like quicker than maybe people anticipate you know yeah, i really think sure. he's got that star level level upside absolutely agree there now, going into this draft, obviously, as we mentioned, there's a lot of great minds in this draft. Mm-hmm. What was your general strategy? You know, w- were you sticking to your rankings? Were you trying to see if some of you know your guys that you you know maybe rank a little higher, see if they would fall? What was your overall strategy for this? I mean, I think for every any and every draft, I don't think you necessarily should stick strictly to your rankings. Period. <laughs> yep. I, I think that I just want to tell that to every listener. If you're in a redraft league or any type of league, you should not necessarily stick to your rankings. You should read the room, read the flow of the draft, read where people are taking players because it will dictate when you may be able to get players to fall. And I may have taken certain players earlier based on my own rankings or personal preference, but I decided to pass on them and take players. I thought others might try to get before they came back to me. And, you know, a lot more often than not, the players I was looking at did fall to me. So it's just a part of the thing is the deeper you get in drafts, the, the more it becomes about personal preference because the, the tiers for everybody, the tiers just get very big so mm-hmm. you know within those tiers it's really just again personal preference and i think that <laughs> you know again don't i would not recommend sticking to your rankings like outside maybe the beginning of drafts i would not necessarily do it like every single time just you know read the room yeah no that that's definitely a good piece of advice right there now we're were there any of your picks? Obviously, I'm sure you like like all, most of your picks here, but were there any like maybe a couple, one or two of your picks that just really stood out? Or like, I oh, mean, I like that value a lot. 
Yeah. Well, obviously, I liked Chirio at eight, but I liked Josh Young at 21. I think that this is a player who's basically locked in as a starter at the major league level this year at third base. Third base is very much a dumpster fire position again this year. It's going to be very difficult to fill with quality there. And I think that people are scared away from Young because of his kind of shaky, I guess, plate discipline, both at AAA and in the major leagues. But we must remember this is a player who has been, came, was coming back from a substantial injury and was thrust right into AAA and right then into the major leagues. And, you know, I think that the plate discipline will return. I mean, he's never going to be the most patient of players. I think there will always be an aggressive side to his game, but I could see, I mean, I think the walk rate will probably settle around like 8%, 7 or 8%. It's not going to be like 4%. And I think the strikeout yeah, rate is going to drop away. Yeah. yeah. Strikeout yeah. rate will drop to like 20, low twenties, I think. And I think he'll get to the power and, you know, I do think he could be like a 270, 30 home run guy at peak still. I'm not this year, but, you know, and that type of upside and with proximity is something I'm always chasing early in these drafts. You can get big, high upside, younger prospects that carry a lot more risk later and you can load up on them. But I guess one other player I want to mention is Vaughn Brown, who I got at 217. Uh, he's a player I just think people are going to overlook because he was an older player in a ball and high a last year. He's 24 uh, already, you know, he'll, be turning 25 next year, going to start the year in double A. He obviously had a massive season. <laughs> he hit, I guess, he hit 346, 437, 623. And people are going to say, well, it came with a 444 batting average on balls in play. Yes, he's not going to hit 350. <laughs> That's not the type of player he is, but the power and speed is very real. It's supported by the data. There is some swing and miss. And I think where the hits will end up lying is going to be the big question here, but he's a solid defender. He can play all three outfield spots. Even if he hits like 240, 250, if he can give you 20 plus home run power and 20 plus steals, that is like, and a guy who I think will move pretty quickly. Like, you know, he's going to be 25 mid season. There really isn't much of an incentive not to rush him up to major if he's ready. And the giants, you know, while they are filling their outfield right now, I think there will be a place for him. And don't overlook him. Don't overlook him because of his age and his pedigree. You know, this is a late pick from 2021, and he was a D2 player. 20, yeah, so, you know, I just don't overlook Vaughn Brown at all. I just really love where his value is falling because I think he's a top 150 prospect. I think that's a great bit of advice just in general is don't overlook these slightly older prospects because, you know, like I've said, you know, player development's not linear first off mm -hmm. and you know so a lot of these you know the college guys missed the entire 2020 year that definitely is huge in terms of you know the development process and you know i've been kind of preaching the same thing with guys like you know Cade marlowe and you know james outman these guys that just get really overlooked just because oh they're 24 25 you know me move on to the next 21 year old uh, you can find value in these guys and you know it doesn't always work out no but definitely it's kind of like one of those like little mini strategies within the overall strategy of like, Hey, let's sneak in a couple of these guys just, you know, because their values are so good. So yeah, that, that Von Brown pick, it was, he was, he was on my board. A couple guys I still had there that I liked a little bit more, but yeah, that was definitely a great value there on Von Brown. And I flipping over to the other side of things here, 
after you saw how the draft board kind of fell. Were there any picks where you're like, ah, oh, I could have waited a few more rounds on that guy, or just any any picks you might have regretted a little bit? Yeah, I think Robert Hassel, who I took at 49, and I guess I could say Marco Luciano, just because I know that the industry in general is down on Luciano now, so I could have maybe gotten him at 49, to be honest. But I think Hassel at 49 is what stands out, because shortly thereafter, at 53, there's Jackson Merrill, and Gavin Williams, 54, who, you know, as I've, you know, the one great thing about these drafts is they do force us to kind of reassess players both on the fly and post-draft and during the draft. And I, you know, based on reports we've received at BP, you know, and obviously what we heard at the Arizona Fall League about Jackson Merrill, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be a super high, you know, helium player who's going to be ju- jumping up rankings all off season. And I think when there's a legit chance he could settle as like a top 25 prospect entering the season. And I think, you know, this is a player who with Merrill could be like a plus hitter with above average power and, you know, some speed even. And, you know, even though he didn't show a ton of speed last year, I think that, you know, the reports are very positive on his speed as well. So there's a lot to like with Jackson Merrill. And I think he's a player that I do prefer at this point to, to hassle. So I think going hassle there instead of someone like Merrill kind of hurts. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. Obviously, I still have hassle ahead in my rankings over Merrill, but it's definitely got to a point where that could probably improve will it probably will change pretty soon here early in the year because yeah Merrill well you know the numbers weren't like Gaudi out in the in the AFL or even you know this past year even though the, the, the slash line was he didn't hit for a ton of power but like that, that projections there you know there's some speed as you mentioned so yeah definitely the arrows are pointing in opposite ways with these two so I think yeah. that they could be flip-flopped in rankings so though I do think Hassel's a good buy low I, I, I don't like Hassel at that yeah. at that place I'd like him there so but I. I'd be, I'd yeah. just at this point I'm on Merrill more <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's that's totally fair. All right, last little fun question here that we've been asking everybody that you know I like you know just getting people's thoughts on here. If you looked at and this does does not have to be your one of your own picks, it could be or just any pick from the last five rounds of this draft. There's like one or two names that stand where if we when we do this again next offseason, you think those names could be in the first five rounds. Anybody stand out to you there? You know, I do like some of my arms that I got there. I know people are very loath to take pitching prospects in these drafts. I think Nick Frazzo in particular is a player to just watch because the Dodgers pitching development program is just ridiculous and his stuff is otherworldly. So, you know, and his frame is great. It's just, he checks so many boxes that if the command's there, he could really just fly. But for, in terms of players on other teams, I really like the Averson Artiega pick. And I think he could be a player who really jumps. You know, he's a player who struggled at the gate last year, but then really came on strong down the stretch. He hit 370, 466, 575 over his last 18 games. I mean, it's not a huge sample there, but his walk rate also jumped to 13.6% in that span. And that's a big deal for a player who is generally quite aggressive. And I think what's most important here is the data is very positive for him. He hits the ball really hard. He has good speed, even though he's a terrible base runner right now. And he's a great defender. And that's something that many people overlook when we look at these fantasy players. He's a player who I think his his glove is going to help him, you know, climb the ladder and, and kind of like weather any kind of issues he may have at the plate or adjustment problems he may have. But I really do think his upside is pretty substantial and you know if he really starts to hit if he hits in high a and then in double a he's a guy who i think will definitely jump way up up into the top 100 could even push like top 50 if he thrives 
Yeah, no, I, I like him a lot too. I, I think people are, you know, he had that kind of breakout initially. Then he kind of, you know, didn't I don't I won't say fizzled out, but kind of plateaued a little bit. Like, so I think there's a good buying opportunity there for him right now because I still think the, the arrow is definitely pointing up, and I think that might not be the general thought process. Like, oh, maybe he's, you know, he had that initial breakout, then he kind of flattened out a little bit. But I still think there's definitely more room for improvement there. So yeah, I, I like him as well, Jesse. Good, to, always good to talk to you, man. You know, everyone should be following Jesse at J A Roach, the number six. All of his stuff over at Baseball Prospectus with the rankings and articles and the podcast. Always good to talk to you, Jesse. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Eric. Awesome. That again was Jesse Roach. We'll take a quick break here. Come back on on the other side with Michael Richards. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Fantrax Toolshed right after this. All right, welcome back from the break. Let's keep this fun going here. Our next guest is the 2022 TGFBI overall champion. He's a writer and prospect analyst for us here at Fantrax, and you can also find him on the Call Up podcast over on the Triple Play Fantasy Network on Twitter at MPRichards1981. Michael Richards, how you doing, Michael? Thanks for joining us. Hey, fellas, always happy to be here with you guys. Before we get started, I just want to congratulate each of you on joining FTN and Pitchers List. You know, you're two of the hardest working people in the industry, and it's very well-deserved. Happy to be here with you. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate the kind words. Absolutely appreciate that. And and I should bring on Chris now, too. I I forgot (laughs) about that. You know, scheduling snafu on totally on on my end. So let's bring in my co-host, Mr. Chris Clegg. What's up, bud? I know I missed the first two. I'm sad, but all good. Glad to be here for Michael's session. I know we missed talking with Shelly and... And Jesse, but you know, chat with them pretty often. So, all good. Glad to be here with Michael. And again, it's a congrats on your TGFBI. I probably told you a couple times, but it's an awesome feeling. Hope you're still feeling good about that because that is a, a huge thing to to beat so many people. But thank you for participating in the mock as well. It's it was a good time, and I'm looking forward to breaking it down with you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. Like I've said, I, it was hard for me to kind of fathom doing all that, but I put in so much hard work, and I had some kind of personal stuff going on on the side, and I kind of put my focus into that and it really paid off in the end. Oh, it was a good little distraction for you then is what you're saying. It yeah, it, it definitely, it, it allowed me to stay sane and during, during some tough times. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, I feel like baseball and, and fantasy baseball and prospects and all that fun stuff. It's, it is a little bit of a, you know, we can get away from the real world for a bit with, you know, family and jobs and you know other stuff we get going on and we can just focus on you know this sport that we love to to watch talk about you know write about so yeah that, that's the beauty of baseball and fancy baseball but getting into mr richard's draft here he was on the other end of the draft board here we were talking with shelly who was picked two jesse was kind of like right in the middle and now we got michael who was on the back end of the draft board here with pick 14 out of 14 this is how his draft went. First five rounds, Royce Lewis, Grayson Rodriguez, Mason Wynn, Estuary Ruiz, Vernon Davis. Rounds six through ten, Luis Matos, Edwin Arroyo, Max Meyer, Davison De Los Santos, a.k.a. the Thigh Master, and Angel Martinez. Rounds 11 through 15, Jihuan Bay, Pedro Leon, Jack Leiter, Glader Figueroa, Eggy Rosario, I almost said Egon, Eggy Rosario. And then 16 through 20, James Triantos, Matt Allen, love Matt Allen, Jason Churio, Michael Arroyo, and 
Christian Robinson, who just sneaks into the draft. I was wondering if he was going to go in this draft, and Michael made sure that he went in with his last pick there. So, Michael, with being on the turn here, did you have any, you know, your general strategy coming in? Were you kind of sticking to your rankings, or what was what was your overall strategy heading into this? Well, so the main thing, you know, I've learned over the last couple of years is just how people value proximity once the actual fantasy season begins. So I wanted to stick with proximity being the foundation. I also looked at things like age versus level, scouting grades, the statistical profile, like if they're fantasy-friendly skill sets. I looked at organizational track record for different positions. If they develop pitchers, I'd be more interested, stuff like that, or middle infielders. I also looked at projections for that came out, especially for 2023 players, because that was a big part of, of my drafting strategy last year. And, and I think it's a good way to see how players fit into the overall picture. I didn't have a fear of taking high caliber injury guys. It's a lot easier to do in a mock draft, but I felt like I didn't reach for these players and kind of let the right ones fall to me. I also wanted to get some undervalued 2023 guys. Like I said, the proximity thing, I think I got a couple of those guys in there that will be viewed highly in the future more so than they are in this draft right now. And, you know, I still like upside guys. It's not as much part of my draft strategy, but I wanted to take some lotto tickets late. And another thing that I think some people might want to hear is that I imagine these players on my team, I pictured myself sitting there setting lineups in the middle of July and tried to picture what it would be with having these players on my team and how they would fit into winning a championship. So that was something I really factored in. As for my actual draft slot, you know, I was on the turn. I didn't really have the level of strategy that I wanted to use because, you know, you're kind of left with, I found that I was either picking players that fell to me or reaching on selectively aggressive on players that I didn't think would make it back to me. And when you're in a draft with a bunch of really highly talented players, not a lot of players are falling to me. So, you know, if I was in a draft with lesser players, overall lesser people that don't follow this stuff as much, I'd have a queue in every round. My queue, would, there'd be a bunch of players still falling to my queue. With this, it's almost like I had to reevaluate the player pool each time I was on the clock. But that was yeah. my general strategy right there. No, yeah, that's totally fair. And that's that's the thing with being on, you know, as we talked about with Shelly, she was, well, she was on the other term, but close enough, she was number two pick. She just, you know, knowing that, all right, I know this particular guy is not going to make it back around another 28 picks to me. So you, you may, you might, you know, go, you know, 10, 15, 20 picks higher than, you know, than they might have gone normally. So that's you know, the struggle of being on the other end there. But I was hoping Grayson Rodriguez, of your first two picks there, I was hoping that he was going to fall two more picks. I picked 12, so two away from Michael. I was hoping he would fall. Was, uh, I love Grayson Rodriguez, obviously. I took him in, in I was in the 12-13 turn in the P1 ADP mocks. I took him and I think Josh Young. As I was hoping he would fall, but yeah, that was a pretty awesome start. And obviously, G Rod's great. Rice Lewis, you know, he's kind of like that X factor, right? Like, who knows? He could have been, you know, maybe gone, or maybe he probably wouldn't have been in this draft if he didn't get hurt, obviously. But he's a guy that could, you know, be five picks ahead or, you know, how he's come back from injuries. So that would have been an X factor there with him, but the talent's there for sure. But I like how you started there with the, the upside with Lewis. And then G Rod, obviously, is my number one pitching prospect, too. So. Yeah, definitely definitely a solid start there. Yeah, so 
Michael, was there a personal pick that you that was your favorite, I guess? I mean, a lot of good picks here. I'm sure you like all the guys because you wouldn't have drafted them if you didn't like them. But was there any pick you just loved, like maybe it was a good value, whatever it may be, which one was your personal favorite? Yeah, you just said what I was going to say. You know, we all we all do these drafts, and we, you know, most of us, if you ask us, we're going to say we like all of our picks or most of them. So it's t- difficult to narrow it down to one. I'll be really quick, though, with a few. I like Brendan Davis. He was a top 15 prospect for me last year. You know, he's another guy. I, I believe in the talent. I think if injuries weren't there, he he would be gone a lot earlier than number 70. And I think he's going to be in the majors next year. And, and I still like him a lot. So I thought that was a good pick. Juan Bay in the 150s range. He's one of those guys where I think his actual production on the field is going to be good. I think he could end up being the, the leadoff hitter for the Pirates, stealing 20 bases with a good average. So like he's he's a nice pick in a in a prospect draft in my mind. And I guess at the very end, I liked my my back to back Matt Allen and Jason Churio. That was probably my favorite combination I did throughout the draft. Yeah, I like those a lot. And I'm with you. I think Juan Bay is pretty underrated. His bat to ball skills and just so good. I've seen him last year in the AFL. I mean, he really stood out as one of the probably the best bat to ball hitters that we saw in, in last year's AFL. So Really like what he brings to the table. I think he's going to be a really solid player. Maybe he's never a fantasy standout, but you need those really solid players to fill your lineups too, and he brings some interesting eligibility with second and outfield. So really like that pick for sure, and definitely some good picks across the board. I, I'm tur- curious what Churio can do. Like He's one that could really pop off, and I, so I like that as well at the back end. Christian Robinson's another one. I mean, we all know if he finally if he ever gets cleared to, to play – in games against stateside, this value is going to to fly up. So that was certainly a good upside pick there. Yep, agreed there too. And obviously, I love Matt Allen. Always been very high in him. So I want to see. He's. I'm really intrigued to see how he comes back from injury because he had the stuff to be. You know, he'd probably be top fifty right now. He'd probably be up. Maybe not up with like the Painters and Yuri Perez's of the world, but maybe in that range with like Gavin Williams, Hunter Brown, kind of like that next tier. I think he definitely could have been up there right now if he didn't, you know, miss the last. Three. Well, two well, two seasons now plus the twenty twenty year. It's been a while because we have seen Matt Allen, but still love that. I was I was debating him with one of my last round picks as well. So uh, that was definitely a, a fun little pick there. In was that round seventeen? But flipping over to the other side, you know, after seeing how the draft board fell, were there any picks that you kind of look back on as maybe picks that maybe I could have waited a bit on this guy, or and maybe any picks that you might have regret just looking back now? Well, you know, I could. I could go be very critical and replace a lot of my picks, but the ones that I am least happy about, I think are Pedro Leone. You know, he used to be like a near a top 50 prospect for me. And I thought that going down to in the one near one fifties was a good fall to grab him. But I'm just questioning about his his strikeout percentage. He's older now. There's just other guys who are 24 with, I think I got a little bit too enamored with his speed in that spot. And I'm just not sure if he's going to be more than like a fourth outfielder, so, and w- with a low average too. So I'm not sure I would make that pick again. If I had to choose another one, it'd probably be Glader Figueroa. And not because I don't like him, but it was just, there were other young players on the board that I like more than him. And I don't think that he was someone that people were particularly targeting at that spot. So, you know, like I, I know Chris took Justin Crawford, you know, 20 picks later and, and, and I'd much rather have him. So those would be the two that I'd replace probably. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. That, that's a fun name to say, though. Later, Figu- Figuero, or I'm, 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 I'm not Later, even yeah. saying 
fully correctly, but that's a fun name to say. That makes me think of the that opera, like the Figaro, Figaro. <laughs> that's that's I, I was I was that was goes through my head whenever I hear his name. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to the next question. Were there picks made by others that you thought were good values? Just like it can be anywhere across the board, but just a pick. Maybe it's a player that fell really far and somebody snagged. And you're like, oh man, like I wish I had gotten them in that spot or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I looked through the whole draft and you know I, I could have picked out a hundred picks I like, but. You know, I really liked Miguel Vargas to the Welsh in the first round. He's just like the guy I want in the first round if I'm not going to get one of those big upside guys. I really like him for redraft too. Andrew Painter, you know, I I, I didn't, I wasn't quite as in on him when this draft started, but after listening to everyone talk about him and researching it more, I thought that was a good pick. Eric's pick of Pete Crow Armstrong, I think he's a he's a, he's on his way to becoming a top ten prospect if he if he's able to produce in the upper levels kind of take over what we thought Robert Hassel was going to be. And another one in the early rounds was Emmanuel Rodriguez to Drew Wheeler. I think he's going to be a top prospect here pretty soon. And I think he'd already be ranked higher if he hadn't gotten injured. And a couple down picks that you guys did late, I really like the junior Camonero pick that Eric did and also the Carlos Jorge pick. And for Chris, I, I thought Justin Henry Malloy in the 13th round was an amazing value. And like I said, Justin Crawford in the 15th, a big upside there. Yeah, my, my heart breaks for Justin Henry, Henry Malloy leaving Atlanta. Really big fan of him just as a, a person and a player. So that's, uh, I'm sad that to see him go. But, and also, I think it's, it's a tough spot to be like this, a ballpark downgrade for sure, him going to Detroit. So I think I'm going to drop him a little bit in my rankings personally. That trade obviously happened after I picked him, but I do really like a Justin Henry Malloy a lot. Yeah, I actually think, just real quickly, I think he's still a good pick where you got him even factoring in Detroit. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's late enough where it's there's certainly mitigated risk at that point. Yeah, for sure. And a little bit of a plug here. If you want to hear more about Malloy and from Malloy, our buddy Michael Govier from the Palazzo Podcast had a chance to interview Justin Henry Malloy out in Arizona. Great interview, so go check, check that out over on the Palazzo Podcast. It was a great interview. Last question here, a fun little question that we like to ask everybody. If you look at the final five rounds, was there like one or two names that were taken in those rounds that you think, you know, when we do this again next offseason, that, that they have a chance of being in the first five rounds? Well, yeah, I, I did try to stay away from my own players. I, I thought I did a pretty good job personally in those last rounds. Like we said, Christian Robinson, Jason Churio, maybe if he blows up. Matt Allen, is like you said, he could potentially be up there if he stays healthy. But I really liked Chris's pick of Quinn Priester. I could easily see him being the top pitching prospect for the Pirates and like a top three in their organization a year from now, which would put him up in the top 70. So uh, Matt, Matt Allen, as I mentioned, a wild card for me is probably Joshua Baez. He's got a high strikeout rate, but he's a really productive player. And I liked him coming out of the draft. And it's like if he could lower that K percentage down, I could really see him rising on lists a lot. So that would be a dark horse for me. Yeah, by by is one I kind of like too, and he, he was a uh, from Massachusetts too, so I got a little bit of that that New England kind of biased in me, where I just want to see him succeed, just because we don't get many from New England, you know, more so Mass, Connecticut, Rhode Island. There's some, but yeah, I, I've always kind of liked Bias, but that power is just so so huge. So hopefully, if he can just get to enough of the hit tool and keep that K rate in check, where he could be like, he, I think best case scenario might be like a Fran Mil Reyes profile if it all works out, but. There's also obviously the floor is very low as, as we've seen with him, but 
That's going to wrap us up with Michael. Thanks for coming on, Michael. Always appreciate talking to you. You can follow him on Twitter at MPRichards1981. Thanks for coming on, Michael. This was a pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Always a pleasure. Talk to you guys soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Again, that was Michael Richards. Go check all his work out over on Triple Play Podcast, the call-up, and writing here at Fantrax HQ. We now go to our fourth guest of the evening, second to last. He's hitting cleanup in this episode. You can follow him on Twitter at Aram Layton, A-R-A-M-L-E-I-T-H-T-O-N, the number eight. He's the co-founder and executive editor over at Jess Baseball and host of The Call-Up. A lot of call-up podcast names yeah. on this show tonight, but Aram Layton joins us. Aram, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Good, man. Good. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. It was a lot of fun uh, doing this draft with you guys, and I appreciate you guys putting this whole thing together, man. It was it was a blast. Yeah, Absolutely. certainly was. was, man. It's good to meet and chat with you. I've been a big fan of your work for a while, and what you built at Just Baseball has been awesome, man, so... And your interviews are phenomenal, man. The, the Matt uh, Mervis, Pete Armstrong, so great. So yeah, I appreciate that. That's yeah. it, it's really cool when you can get a bunch of prospect guys together and just the guys and girls together and just you know really just hash it out and have fun, see where everybody's at, which I know is a big reason why you guys did this, but also just to be able to get to know you guys a little bit better. So I, I really appreciate Absolutely. that. All the work that you guys put out is awesome. You guys help keep me up on whatever I feel like I'm missing. Like help me <laughs> fill in the cracks and. That's why it was so cool to have everybody together here. So really appreciate the kind words. And uh, it's been fun covering the offseason so far. And and this was a big part of, you know, one of the highlights so far. That's awesome. Yeah, it's like a, I was talking with Jesse earlier about how, you know, with, with us when we cover, you know, prospects and stuff like that, where there is really no offseason because, you know, we got the fall yeah. league and all that. So I was always, fun, always fun getting out there. And yeah, like I, I love, you know, talking with prospects too. Like you had those great interviews that Chris mentioned and you know, Chris and I have been fortunate enough to uh, interview some prospects over, over the last couple of years as well. And you find like a lot of them are very willing to, yes. to talk with you. And they're very like, we've, we've had some very, very good interviews here. And, you know, even with like Robert Hassel and, and Max Clark, who's mm-hmm. not even a quote unquote prospect still in high school, just a lot of sh- and how sharp, these I won't even say kids, but I'm I'm like ten years older than all of them, so I feel like <laughs> calling them kids. But how sharp they all are! So yeah, it's it's always fun talking, you know, interviewing prospects and getting their thought process behind you know a lot of different things. So I always like to see whenever somebody else is like, oh, they interviewed this person, like, oh, I gotta go check that out. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fun stuff. And yeah, this mock draft was as we mentioned many times over the last couple episodes was an absolute blast. It always is every year. Let's get right into Aram's picks here. He had pick. Oh, what is that? Pick 10, I think. 14, yep. 32. Yep. Yeah, pick, t- pick 10. I'm trying to like find out where it was. There we go. So this is how RM's draft board went down. First five rounds, Ezekiel Tovar, Yuri Perez, Brett Beatty, Diego Cartea, Brooks Lee. Round six through 10, Gavin Stone, Adele Amador, Andy Pajes, Jake Etter, Casey Schmidt. 11 through 15, Owen Casey, Drew Romo, Mason Auer, Nolan Jones, Matt Walner. Last five rounds, went four pitchers here. Mason Montgomery, Taylor Dollar, Joey Cantillo, Eddie's Leonard, and Dax Fulton there. So, Aram, heading into this draft, what was your? Did you have any general strategy that you were kind of trying to adhere to? Whether it was you know, maybe look at your own rankings or you know, what, what was your overall strategy headed into this? Yeah, no, it's funny because I was texting Jeff Ponce, who I, I, I use as a sounding board really often, which is really funny because he ends up picking right after me at, at pick <laughs> 11. So we were, I, I wasn't trying to tell him too much or, or ask him too much and tip too much, but I, I wanted to kind of understand, you know, what 
the goal was. And, and I was kind of like, well, you know, what's your goal here? How much does proximity matter? How much does risk matter? And, you know, th- those two things kind of go in tandem. And I kind of ultimately just settled on approaching it like I was building a franchise, right? And you would have the same kind of you know balance, whether it was fantasy or real life of, okay, this guy's closer, a little bit safer, but maybe not as much upside. At what point does the scale tip from an Ezekiel Tovar to a James Wood, which is what the picks were back to back from myself then to Jeff. Obviously, James Wood's ceiling is is insane. And I was between those two guys. But what, what the strategy ended up being for me is I wanted to go on the front end, guys that are closer, guys that I felt like still have a high ceiling, but I feel really confident that they're going to be in the big leagues this coming season. And I think could be at least league average contributors in some capacity, which I think both Tovar and Brett Beatty are going to be next year to say the least. And, and then go for a little bit more upside on the back end, because as we know, there's so much talent in the minor leagues, but as I realized as the draft kind of went on when you're with a bunch of folks like yourself, the guys that you think might fall don't fall because you guys all do your homework too. So the board started getting a little thinner and thinner as I, you know, started to see some of the picks you all were making. But I still felt pretty good about, you know, kind of waiting for the upside guys on the back end more so. Yeah, to speak to that proximity you were mentioning, the the first pick you made that I just don't see debuting this year is probably Amador in round seven. I yeah. think you could definitely see any of your top six picks there. You know, me. Cartea is maybe the other one I'm kind of like you know on the fence about, but you know top three absolutely should. Brooks Lee is like you know one of the most advanced hitters in the minor leagues, and then Gavin Stone's not on door as well. So you definitely nailed that proximity for sure. While not you didn't and you didn't sacrifice talent. It's not like you went with like super boring guys. Like all these guys have pretty solid upsides as well. So I, I think you you did a good job kind of managing that you know blending the proximity and safeness, but still getting some pretty exciting players as well. Yeah, and I'll ask you to the proximity effect. Like, I know you're pretty well connected with Miami. Is Do you think Yuri Perez is up fairly early next year? I think there's a really good chance, man. I really do. It sounds like that's part of the plan. And just, you know, talking to some people around the team, specifically with the Marlins, is it seems like that's a big reason why they're comfortable trading off of that, you know, starting pitching surplus, which we've seen the Marlins being rumored, you know, to being willing to to trade from that surplus. And from what it sounds like Yuri and and Sandy are the only two pretty much non-negotiable, you know, trade pieces here. So, you know, with Jake Eater, who I drafted way later, also healthy now and a guy that I think it's easy to forget how dominant he was last year as well. I think Yuri's going to be up pretty early. And I think that's why they're pretty comfortable trading from that surplus. Yeah, and that's kind of my read on it too, just trying to pick up what some of the beat writers have been saying. So that's that's good confirmation to hear. So looking at your team, you know, you obviously had a lot of good picks. You know, you you wouldn't have drafted if you didn't like these guys. But is there one particular pick that you just absolutely loved? Maybe a player that fell that you feel like you got good value on, but just one player that that you just really, really liked. Yeah, I would say it's between you know, I, I was definitely not planning on taking Diego Cartel. You know, I, I really just that didn't fit my draft strategy as, as you know, Eric was clever enough to pick up on because that was like the one outlier from the first five rounds. But it was one of those where, you know, Cartaya just fell in my lap at that point. And I was like, I, I can't let him pass at this point because to me, you know, he's a top 20 prospect in baseball. And, you know, I know there's a lot of catchers, which is really interesting because in Major League Baseball, it's a thin position. But you look at top prospect list, there's a ton of catchers. So, you know, I was okay with maybe waiting on a catcher. But when you got somebody with Cartaya's offensive ability, you know, all the other things that he brings to the table in terms of the intangibles. I think he's going to be a good defender as well. But, you know, this, the big power from behind the dish, that was one I was really excited about. But honestly, Brett Beatty right before that, that's a guy that 
I, I would have expected to go through the first two rounds, especially with the breakthrough he had last year. You know, we know this guy's always put up elite exit velos, but the question has always been, will he hit the ball in the air enough? Is he going to iron out the lower half to the point that he's going to lift with authority? And he cut his ground ball rate by double digit percentages last year. And, you know, we saw the power really tick up in the extra base hit department because of that. And he had you know a lot of success in double A and then in the cameo in triple A. And I thought he showed some good things in the big leagues before going down. So that was a pick I was I was really pumped about, too. Yeah, like those four. And Jake Eater, man, I it's, he's somebody that I've really gotten back in on this year. I'm like, all right, most people aren't back in yet. But of course, you snuck in there. I know Drew Wheeler, who was also in the draft, loves him as well. So I was thinking I could get him in like the the 150 range. So I was a little upset that you, you grabbed him there. But <laughs> I'm a big fan of And like I said, being healthy, I think he could crack the major league rotation too this year. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing with Eater is, is it's really just, you know, what kind of opportunity is he going to get, especially yeah. with what Braxton Garrett was able to do last year all of a sudden. But, you know, in 2021, before Eater went down, we're talking about, you know, sub-2 ERA, you know, for – Good deal of, of workload yeah, there. Fastball he was, was good he life. He was killing it, yeah. At 93, the slider's fantastic. Mixing in a changeup, too. You know, has those three distinct speeds. And that was straight in double A, right? Everyone was talking about Max Meyer. Eater got that double A assignment from the get-go, too, yep. and handled it maybe even better than he did. So just turned 24. I, I, there's a little Marlins bias on that pick, but I'm definitely excited about you know, <laughs> what, he, what he's going to do there. No, Absolutely. Now, looking at the other side of it here, kind of seeing how the draft board fell, were there any picks that you look, look back on that maybe maybe you regretted a little bit or even hey, maybe I could have waited another round or two for this guy? Any, anybody that stands out there for you? Yeah, that's that's a good one. I, you know, I, I think when I went to that lefty pitching like rampage where it went Mason Montgomery, Taylor Dollar, Joey Cantillo, and then I ra- wrapped up the draft with Dax Fulton, Probably went a little quick on Mason Montgomery. And I like Montgomery a lot. You know, left-handed pitching prospect with the Rays that, you know, his fastball has just kind of that desired ride to it that you don't really understand how guys don't hit it, but you got to step in the box and you understand how it just flies right over barrels. It's got some good secondary stuff, but, you know, realizing that I got dollared the next round and then, you know, I was even able to get Dax Fulton in, in the very last round. That was probably a bit of a reach, especially when you look at some of the picks that, you know, folks were making on the other sides of that. I mean, Quinn Priester went in that same round. I think, you know, Priester's got a higher floor and, you know, arguably a higher ceiling with what we saw from him recently. Some of the picks after that made me realize like, ooh, you know, we made a made a reach there. Max Muncie even, you know, with, with what his upside is, probably would have rather have taken him than, you know, the first of my four lefties to wrap up the draft. So Mason Montgomery, probably a bit of a reach there, but, you know, I still really like him as a prospect. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm interested what, with what he'll do this coming season. Like it, it'll kind of be telling, I guess, of, of who he really is, if he can kind of back some of that up. But yeah, Montgomery is intriguing, but he's one that I've struggled to rank, like in my prospect ranks. I don't know where to put him. So it, he's an interesting one. So like you said, I could go either way there. So when you looking at just kind of the general draft, were there any picks that really stood out across the board, like by, made by anybody that you thought were really good values? Yeah. I mean, there was one that stood out clear as day that I was like shaking my head. I was like, how did I miss that? Was was Gabriel Moreno in the eighth round? I, I you know, I, I know there's questions of how much power 
is going to be there. And I know he's, we're trying to figure out exactly where he fits in, in terms of getting ABs because of, of what the, the catching situation is in Toronto with Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen trouble in paradise there. But you know, <laughs> Moreno is a good athlete, man. And, and that bench is a little thin. And, and this guy, like they were running him in the outfield in practice, trying to see what he could do out there. And you know, talking to some of his teammates, they're like, he, he might be, you know, through the minor leagues, one of the best, athletes that they've really seen period because of what he does behind the dish and then you know what he's able to do in the field and, and how he's able to handle the bat there's no questions about the hit tool i think the power is still going to come to at least a 15 you know on the high end 20 home runs if you really really you know hope but with what he does consistency wise bat to ball wise i i figured that that's got to be a guy that you're taking earlier right i mean this is one of the safest hit tools in all of the minor leagues at a really good position that could potentially play other spots in the field. I was shocked to see him fall in the eighth round, especially when you look contextually, you know, I think I took Andy Pajes that round and Nick Gonzalez went that round too. So, you know, I think you're looking at Gabriel Moreno. I think he's on a different level than, than those guys. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I took Anthony Gutierrez and the pick before. So it's like, looking back, it's like, Oh man, like who would you rather have? <laughs> right. Pretty easy when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. And that, that, that hit tool is just so damn good. Like there's no question that you can, you can question the power. Like you mentioned, you cannot question the hit with Gabriel Moreno. That dude just puts the bat on the ball almost every damn time. He's so hard to strike out, which is not a profile you see often from from a catcher. But who knows where he ends up? Mm-hmm. Hey, can, can I get one of those three? I don't even care which one. Give me one of those three over That's- here in Boston, because right now we're going to be starting like a Reese McGuire or something. So can I get? I would love Carter Kirk. Wong. I love Kirk, but yeah, I caught her long. Can, can I just get one of those three? Stop hogging all the, the good catchers up there in Toronto. But I, I loved, uh, I loved Chris's Turang pick as well. That's that's a guy who won me over last year, and it looks like he's gonna, you know, have a little bit more of a direct path to playing time in Milwaukee now. Fringe, the power is, you know, people were like maybe average at best. He can sneak some out in that stadium, you know, and yeah. then also with the the speed. Elite defense that's going to keep him in the lineup. I, I loved that pick too. Turing was a guy I was hoping to grab. Too. Yeah, I started really picking up on it like it towards the end of the season. I was like, he just had a, such an under the radar season, and like his exit velocities like took a step forward this year. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like maybe there is some legit growth here. And everybody was like completely off of him. And I'm like, okay, like this is the time to buy back in hard on Bryce Turing because I'm, I'm in, it, and he's going to get. I think he's going to get that second base job. That'll be interesting. I think he's pretty underrated across the board right now in prospect circles. 100%. Yeah. I want to see how yeah that spot and some of the outfield spots shake out in Milwaukee. It's going to be, it's gonna be fun. So it's going to be fun to see how that yeah how those kind of shake out in spring training. All right, last question for Mr. Layton here. I think my most fun question that we have on out of the five. If you could look at the last five rounds, it could be your own pick or someone else's pick. If you could pick one or two guys that were taken in those last five rounds that you think could jump up into the first five rounds when we do the, do this again next offseason. Is there a name or two that sticks out there for you? Oof. So I don't know what the where the bat's going to be next year, but but in terms of just from prospect status, Jefferson Carroll with, with, with the Milwaukee Brewers as well, I think this guy's going to be a top 100 prospect by by midseason next year. Now, I, I, again, I don't know how that stacks up in, in a draft where we do this because I think – Naturally, we overlook the catchers a little bit because of all the talent on the board here and how many good catching prospects there are. But Caro's defense is really impressive. He's so young. He put up really good numbers as one of the younger guys at each level last year. I know the fall league stats don't 
paint the prettiest picture, but I really liked what I saw from his ABs out there. Again, I really am impressed by the glove, and I think there's some there's some impact there. I think there's above average raw power. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jefferson Caro's there. I, I think that was a fantastic fantastic pickup late there and then uh, a less sexy guy that or less less sexy prospect is evan ryford that you know i I just look at that guy that's the next race reliever right where he comes up there and everyone's like where'd he come from and he's just gonna carve dudes up i think that slider is one of the best i've seen in the minor leagues and you know may not be the most exciting you know pick in the world but if he's carving up dudes and you know putting up some pretty impressive bullpen numbers i think that's that's an easy steal late in this draft you're not the only one that said Jefferson Carroll. Shelly, that was her pick as well. So we have a double Jefferson Carroll <laughs> endorsement on this episode. That's so big. Gotta love that. That'll wrap us up with Aram. Again, you can go follow his stuff over on Twitter at A-R-A-M-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, the number eight, and over at Jess Baseball and the Call Up Podcast. Aram, thanks for coming on, man. It was, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Have a good night. See you, Aram. All right. Now we close out the show. We bring on, we go to the call to the pen here. We bring in the closer. I don't know if he throws righty or lefty, but we're bringing in the closer. You all know him. He's the lead prospect analyst and assistant baseball editor over at RotoWire, Mr. James Anderson. James, how's it going, bud? It's going great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. And he, you failed to mention he's rocking the awesome Rotowire beanie that everybody is envious of right now. <laughs> everybody on Twitter wants one of those Rotowire beanies. It's it's a good looking beanie. I can see why people would want it. I might need to so I can slide James a twenty or something, get my own Rotowire beanie or something. But all right, let's let's close it out here. James, you pick. Where were you in the draft? I'm. I just lost you. Oh, th- number three, number three overall. There. It's kind of kind of a weird spot being number three overall because obviously you know we all know who's going one and two. So then it's it's up to you to pick you know, the first of that next glutton there. So it was, walk us through your general overall, you know, your overall general strategy and kind of what that, that thought process was for that particular pick was, you know, does Jordan Lawler stick out that much from that next year for you? I, I feel pretty comfortable going with him there. I think it's like him at three, Walker at four. Those guys are, are pretty close, but I do, I do kind of confidently prefer Lawler. I think there's going to be, 20 steel speed there for the next 10 years. Whereas Walker, I could see him just not really being a guy that's running that much in his mid twenties. So I, I do like Lawler the most there. And I was just kind of going best available. Yeah, that's fair. Do you, do you see Lawler or do you see that as a tier like after Carol and Gunner, or is it more like you think that, that Lawler's a clear cut above the rest? Yeah, I think Lawler Walker is just kind of a mini tier there for me. Okay. A mini two player tier there. Yeah, I like that. And there's there's plenty of talent in the top ten, but there also is risk, like when we look at Churio and Ellie Dela Cruz, like upside's tremendous, but there's certainly some risk. So I think with Lawler, you certainly have something to fall back on. You know, worst case with the speed, as you mentioned, like he's gonna be a solid source of steals no matter what happens, I think. So that does give him some some safety for fantasy purposes. So looking you know, down the board at your roster, were there any personal picks that you just really loved? Maybe somebody that fell that you got, feel like you got good value on? Just one that was your favorite pick. I think Sal Frelick in the fifth, if I just had to pick one. I think he's – I've kind of got him as like a, a borderline top 30 prospect right now. So getting him in the fifth was something where I hadn't quite gotten there on my rankings, but when I was on the clock – 
I was using the the Roadwire software, syncing up the league and seeing who the best players available were. And Felic just really stood out to me for his proximity and high floor and a chance to really kind of help in four categories or three categories and be passable in the other two. So I like that one a lot in the fifth. Yeah, I think Frelick's really underrated. I feel like people have kind of come around on him you know, more recently, but I, I still think that you can get good value on him in Dynasty. Just I'm not sure the, the perceived value is caught up to where his real-life value actually is, and he's one that should debut fairly soon and provide you know, his solid tools across the board. Maybe the power's a bit behind, but you know, you're getting really solid hit tool, one of the best hit tools in the minors, plus speed, so... Really solid pick there. Also, as you mentioned, like that tool on RotoWire is phenomenal if you've never used it. So that's a, just a little plug there that you should check it out because you can sync your leagues and see who's the best available. And it's really invaluable, especially in like a dynasty league, even for prospects too. Like that's that's huge. So great feature if you've never checked that out before. Yep, for sure. Before I ask James the next question, let me give the rundown of his teams. I realized I forgot to do that before the first question. You already heard two of his picks, but first five rounds – from the three spot, Jordan Lawler, Oswald Peraza, Matt Mervis, Gavin Williams, Sal Frelick. Round six through ten, Nick York, Dre Jameson, Cody Morris, Luis Ortiz, Joey Ortiz. So back-to-back Ortiz is there. 11 through 15, Yiddy Cape, Drew Waters, Xavier Isaac, Brendan Barrera, Cole Young. A couple of FYP, three straight FYPD guys there. And then 16 through 20, Anthony Salamezzo, Thomas Sag- I always say that last name wrong. Is it Sagesi? Sag- yeah, Sagesi. Tagizi, there we go. I always say that name wrong. Sterling Thompson, Carlos Colmenares, and Freddie Tarnock to round it out here. So, kind of on the on the other side of that last question, James. You know, after seeing how the draft kind of fell, were there any picks you look back on as you know maybe you could have waited another round or two on that guy, or it's any picks you regretted in general? Yeah, I mean, it's it feels like this draft was a long time ago, just because there's a bunch of different picks where if I went off my rankings today, I would take someone different, but it's only sort of a, a three or five spot gap in terms of where I have them ranked. So yeah, there's lots of things I, I could have done differently. I mean, I have Jackson Merrill kind of around 30th overall, and I took Gavin Williams over him in the fourth round or no, Never mind. I was not on the clock there. Actually, I mean, I, I wish I'd taken Encarnacion Strand instead of Nick York. I kind of wish I'd considered going Elijah Green and Tamar Johnson at the 2-3 turn instead of Peraza and Mervis, but I could go either way on that one. So just a lot of different things that kind of stand out where if we were doing this today, I might take a different guy, but not by not by a lot. Yeah, Mervis was like there was there was like a handful of prospects he- heading into this where I'm like I was was wondering where they would fall and Mervis was definitely one of them. Obviously, with with all the hype after what he did last year in the upper minors, plus what he did out in the Arizona Fall League where we were all there. Yeah, definitely was very interesting to see where he went. So I, I don't think it's I don't think it was a bad pick at all. I think obviously to see if the Cubs give, give him that shot at first base start the year, but I think the bat is is definitely legit. So I, I was really intrigued to see where he'd fall in this draft. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I stand by the the Mervis pick. Like I, I'm I'm still very much on board with yeah at the right price taking him, but there are guys that were available there that I, I would have ranked over him at this point. That's fair. And it's always a, f- a fun process too, because you kind of look back and you you're in a draft like this, you look back and you're 
it, it really makes you think even like for me, I have to go back to the drawing board on some players and be like, okay, like I really need to look and reevaluate like what I think. Like I'll never adjust my ranking straight up based on this, but it's like, okay, like did I miss something here? Let me go back and watch this, reevaluate this player. So it's always fun to kind of do, you know, after the draft and gives you, gives you some more work to do. Like if we don't have enough work on prospects in the off season, it just, some more fun stuff to really look at evaluating. But looking at the the entire board, I guess, outside of your team, was there any particular player that you thought was just a really good value? Maybe you've seen on your own team that you got late, but just somewhere along the board that you just a player that really stood out as a good value pick. So I'm definitely not like trying to, to suck up to the host here, but I, I did notice when I was just kind of going through and looking at some of the best value picks, Cross had – a few that really stood out in Elijah Green in the fourth, yeah. Junior Caminero, and then James Outman. Forget the exact rounds you got those guys, but I thought those were all ones that probably should have gone a couple rounds higher. So I thought those three really stood out on Cross's team. I, I was ecstatic to get Elijah Green at that spot because I, I have him top 20 overall. I think he's like number 19 right now. Maybe that's a bit high, but just the upside. Like you see, it's so many evaluators say that he has some of the best raw tools that they've ever seen. And, you know, these were, you know, not, you know, inexperienced or young evaluators either. So obviously there's a, you know, hit tool, the swing and miss, where does that land? But man, like this guy could easily be top five by, you know, this time next year. So I was very happy to get him at that point. Yeah. It's like, you have to factor in the risk. You you definitely have to, but you also have to, like factor in like just the upside if it were to hit with him it's it's kind of a, a different level of reward there right and, and that i thought i thought the potential reward outweighed the risk at that point in the draft so yeah i was very happy with that one yeah, that's an awesome spot to get him very envious I, maybe you could <laughs> even take him at 33 i took indy rodriguez at 33 but he fell good ways after that oh, I, I, we all know i love me some indy too so no nothing nothing wrong with that pick but all right, last question from Mr. Anderson here. Looking at the last five rounds of this draft, was there a name or two that stood out as names that, you know, when we do this again next year, you think those guys could be in the first five rounds? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually going to go with a, a pitcher here, Landon Sims, who Jeff grabbed in the 16th round. I I really like Sims, and I was kind of playing. I had him best player in my queue for a couple rounds, and I just – thought he might keep falling just because he's coming back from from Tommy John but yeah I really think he's got kind of frontline caliber stuff on on maybe just kind of the two pitches and if a third comes along I mean he could be just really dominant so if Sims is healthy I think he could he could be like a top 10 pitching prospect by midsummer yeah he he was a fun one too because you you remember before you know kind of he was thought of as one of the better pitchers in that draft class and maybe you know maybe even a top 10 pick or in that general vicinity, then he felt a, I think he was like pick was 32, 33 or something in the, that area. Uh, so still going in the, you know, first round, right. Or thereabouts, even with the injury and just what he was, you know, looked like before the injury. So yeah, that he screams break out all, all over the place. So yeah, I, I think that's going to be a pick that's going to click pretty well this year, but yeah. that is going to wrap us up with Mr. James Anderson. James, thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure talking to you. We can, you could, everyone can follow his stuff. I'll, at Rotowire, of course. If you're not already, I don't know why you're not. Follow him at Real J R Anderson on Twitter. James, thanks again for coming on. 
Yeah, thanks for doing the whole mock. It's really an invaluable tool for, you know, working on my rankings and stuff. So thanks for having me on and, and thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's all, it's always fun just to kind of do something, have a, a fun little exercise in the, the dead of the offseason in, you know, November and early December. So it's always fun to pass the time. But th- thanks to James and all of our guests for coming on tonight. It was a fun episode, of course. That is going to wrap up this episode of the Fantrex Toolshed. Thanks to everyone for tuning in again we hope you enjoyed it you can follow us on twitter chris that roto clegg i'm at eric cross 04 and our show is at fantrax toolshed and check out all of our written work at fantrax hq on our patreon and of course on ftn for me now as well and pitcher list for mr clegg and join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk but until then everyone take care <laughs>